So, Father, we just receive your word this morning. We receive the encouragement that's going to come from you this morning. Uh, we thank you for, for choosing us. We thank you for setting in this, us in this generation. Uh, we know that we are, we are yours. We're the apple of your eye. Uh, we are dear to you and that you are activating us in the supernatural, in the miraculous, in the marketplace. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the riches of royalty. And uh, I want to just first start by reminding us who we are, reminding us who we are, reminding us that we're royalty. Uh, I want to start with a few scriptures, and then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll dive into a little bit of where I want to go with this. But this is out of Revelation 5, 9 through 10. Revelation 5, 9 through 10. You've probably heard it before. And they sung a new song. And by the way, I'm using the King James Version. Now, the reason I'm using the King James Version is because the translators were the boldest translators when it came to the word kings. And the word kings in the Greek is beselos. And it's a Greek term and title signifying monarchs throughout history. And in the English-speaking world, it means emperor. And by the way, if you want to jot it down, when we get to it in a moment, we're going to read it. It is G935 in your Strong's lexicon or concordance. So if you want to look this up yourself in, the, in your Strong's lexicon or concordance, you can look this up. You can see the various places where throughout Scripture this is used to mean emperors, to mean kings, to mean world leaders. And uh, here's the word, it's in Revelation 5, 9 through 10, talking about you. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. They're singing about Jesus. For thou wast slain, King James, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. This is what they're singing. Out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This is a song, by the way. This is a song the saints are singing. This is the song, a song they're singing, and they're recognizing that God has made us kings. By the way, he is the king of and the Lord of Wow, what if that's you and not all the other people you think about when you use that word, when you use that phrase, when you use that frame of thinking, when you, when you quote that scripture out of Philippians 2, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, what if, what if that includes you? What if you have a kingly call? What if you have a kingly anointing? Those who reign in life, right? Is anybody here called to reign in life? Here is another affirmation of Romans 5.17, that those who receive the abundance of grace will reign in life. Here's a confirmation of it again out of Revelation chapter 5, that there is the singing of this song, and we shall, these that are singing, we shall be unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. 
We shall reign on the earth. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about right there. We shall be in charge on the earth. We are restored to the dominion that was given to first Adam. We're not just we're not just restored to get to heaven in salvation. We're not just restored unto forgiveness in salvation. We are restored unto the dominion given to first Adam in salvation. Look at somebody and say, that's you. Come on. That's why Isaiah 61 has relevance, right? Isaiah 61 has relevance. I want to read Isaiah 61 to you really quick. Uh, the reason I thought, well, let's read Isaiah 61. Isaiah 60 is really powerful, but then you could say, well, you know, he's talking about physical Jerusalem, natural Jerusalem. And, and I'm not going to uh, contradict whatsoever that there's a fulfillment coming for natural and physical Jerusalem out of Psalm 60, out of Psalm 61, out of 62, out of 65. But what's interesting about I'm sorry, out of Isaiah, Isaiah 60, 61, 62, 65. But what's interesting about Isaiah 61, why, why I want to read it to you today, is because this is the passage that Jesus quoted in Luke chapter 4. So when Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4, Luke records it. He walks into the temple he stands up, he asks for the scroll of Isaiah, he opens it up to what is in our Bible now, chapter 61, and he says, he reads it, and then he says, this day, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. So in other words, what was getting launched in Isaiah 60, 61, 62, 65, what was getting launched and the Zion that he was thinking of was not just the coming restored Zion, but he was thinking of the Zion from above that is our mother. He was thinking of the heavenly Jerusalem. He was declaring that today there are those who will become dwellers in, sons and daughters of Zion, and they will be partakers of these glories. And so he declares that today... This passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Here's what he said. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach, proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness to prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Favor on who? Wow, I'll take it. I'll take it. And to declare the day of vengeance of our God. Vengeance on who? His enemies. This began, this, this was, he was loosing vengeance on death, destruction, Satan, sickness, disease. And provide, and to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy. Instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and they will be called oaks of righteousness. Now, he's talking about a Zion from above. He's talking about those who come into that city, those who dwell there, those who become sons and daughters of that city. There's going to be something radically different that happens to them. They will become those who no longer mourn because you have, you have a hope from above. 
They will become those who no longer grieve and those who no longer despair and those who put on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. But then he goes on. And I, I, want to, I want you to see this in the light of the royalty we are called to as sons and daughters of God. Because what does royalty do? What do kings do? What do those who reign in life do? They become builders. They live a bigger life. They aren't ordinary. They aren't common. They aren't peons. They aren't the, they aren't the, the low. They aren't the bottom of the barrel. They aren't beneath, so to speak. Deuteronomy 28, you will be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. That's you, church. That's you, child of God. That's you, child of God. He says, and they will rebuild, uh uh-oh, we're rebuilders. And they will rebuild ancient ruins and restore places devastated. They will renew ruined cities and things devastated for generations. Shepherds will flock, strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. But you'll be called priests of the Lord and named ministers of our God. You'll feed on the wealth of the nations and in their riches you will boast. And instead of shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. And so, therefore, you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Now, since he announced that in the temple, the temple that was soon to be destroyed, since he announced that in that temple, and he said, today it's fulfilled in your hearing, it's because he was talking to the children of Zion, those who would come to the heavenly Jerusalem, those who would put their faith in him as the high priest, representing them, the one who would bring them into Father and make them sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of the Most High. He spoke this over you. He spoke this over you. You are royalty. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are a kingdom of priests and kings and priests unto our God. And you will reign on the earth. This is the heart of God. The heart of God. It's interesting how this passage in Revelation is such a tie-in to the one we talk about all the time in Matthew 6, 9 through 11. It's such a tie into that passage and to that scripture that we would not be praying to get off of the earth, but we would praying, we would be praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Why? Because we're not afraid of the earth, we're to reign on the earth. We're not afraid of the earth, we're to reign on the earth. God has chosen that we would be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Come on, talk to yourself right now. Just tell yourself a little thing or two. Glory is on you. Can I read you another verse? Romans 9, 22 through 24. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, instead, I'm adding the word instead, But God was willing and could have taken out his wrath on the Gentile nations. We were the objects of wrath, the children of wrath. We deserved wrath, the wrath of God. 
We were separated from him, from his promises. We didn't know him. We had no covenant with him. We weren't covered by the blood of a sacrifice or of Jesus. But what if God instead endured with much patience these vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy? Wow, do you see how he changed the name? We're no longer known as vessels of wrath, but he changes the vernacular. He changes the narrative. He begins to declare over us that we are vessels of mercy, not vessels of wrath. What if God was willing to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he's called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Did you, did you, just, see what we, did you just see what we read? Which he prepared beforehand for glory. What are you prepared for? What are you prepared for? He's not talking about, he's not talking about a glory after you pass away. He's not talking about a glory when your days are done. He's not talking about the pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. He's talking about a glory that God has prepared for you to walk in now. God has decided and decreed in Jesus that those who were once vessels of wrath would become vessels of glory and he's prepared for them that the glory of God would be poured out upon them us who who's he talking about he's talking about us he's talking about his audience even us whom he has called wow is that all right We've talked about Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Let's go there quick. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. And this will take us into our thoughts for today. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you've received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children, God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs, co-heirs, co-heirs with Christ, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. Heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. I want you to jump over now to Philippians 4.19. You're a joint heir, the Bible says, with Jesus. You know what that means? That means whatever belongs to, the, whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to you. The resource that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. The blessing that belongs to Jesus. Fact is, this is how Ephesians starts. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Not one left out. Not one left out. Not one left out. 
blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. There's not one blessing left out. You are a joint heir, an equal heir. When Jesus brought you in, you received everything that he has received as the perfect man, as the redeeming one, as the intercessor, as the forerunner of your salvation, as the last Adam, the one who's done all of this on your behalf, who's done it for you. Now, I'm going to take you to another passage to provoke your thinking. I want to provoke your thinking. Everybody say provoke. Philippians 4.19. This is one that we know. We've got it memorized. We've heard it a million times, especially when it's offering time. I'm not about to take an offering. And my God shall supply all your needs. How many needs? All your needs, according to, according to his riches in glory. Who's a partaker of glory? Who's a partaker of glory? Who's been brought into glory? And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So here's my question today. And our topic is the riches of royalty. Here's my question today. Are you basing your life, your future, your vision off of your riches or his riches? I want to talk to you about a pauper spirit, a pauper spirit, and I don't mean a demon. I just mean an attitude, a mindset, a thinking perspective, though I suppose spirits could be attached to it. But a pauper spirit says, I don't need much. A pauper spirit says, I just need to pay my bills. A pauper spirit says, I'm okay with little. A pauper spirit says, I can get by. Or I just need enough to get by. A pauper spirit says I shouldn't presume. A pauper spirit says I just need a humble life. But do we realize that a pauper spirit also quenches vision? A pauper spirit quenches the downloads of heaven, the downloads of royalty, the downloads of the kingly life you're called to. Because the kingly life you're called to is not just strutting around like a king. That's not what it's all about. The kingly life you're called to is a life of protection, a life of provision, a life of justice, a life of defending the fatherless, the orphan. It's, it's a life that is kingly in every aspect. It's a life that cares for those who are common. It's a life that reaches those who are ordinary. It's a life that the reigning in life of a king is not the reigning of pride, but it's the reigning of blessing. But when we have a pauper mindset, we quench the very kingly calling that God wants to deposit upon us. What does it mean according to his riches? Have we meditated on Philippians 4.19 and really received this download that our vision, our life, our future, our mindset should be according to 
his riches, not according to ours, not according to mine, not according to my income, but according to his riches, my vision, my ambition. Is there a limit to his riches? Here's a question for us. What could you do with his riches? Hear me, church, this is not meant, uh, I, 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 I don't want this at all to come across as condemnatory, like you're not doing enough. My hope today is that God provokes us, that God provokes us, that if we're attached to his riches, if his riches are our resource, that we would begin to ask bigger questions, that we would begin to petition in greater ways. That, that it's not you. This is not about you. That This is not about, uh, uh, oh, I'm not measuring up, and I, I still didn't get it, and oh, that, that sermon really, oh, my goodness, yeah, my life is way too small, and I'm just, yeah, I am that wormy guy. It's not, this is not, this, this is to provoke us to say, oh, my word, I want to adjust my vision to his riches and adjust my petition to that vision. I want to adjust my vision to his riches, and then I want to adjust my petition. I want to adjust my prayer. See, you, you, if, you, if, we can, if we can lay hold of a bigger vision, then we can begin to pray bigger prayers. And if we begin to pray bigger prayers, then God, who is our supply, will begin to answer in bigger ways. And we'll begin to live bigger lives. The lives we're called to live. Is there a limit? What could you do with his riches? Could you pay off your house with his riches? Have you been asking him to pay off your house? Simple questions. Could you buy cars without credit? Could you go on the mission trips that you desire? Could you support or build orphanages? Could you support a drug and rehabilitation treatment center? Could you adopt a child? Could you pay for a building expansion? Could you open your home? Could you have, as the Shunammite woman did, could you build some other bedrooms onto the house? Could you take others in? Could you live a bigger life if it was according to his riches instead of according to your riches? This is what he wants us to get. This is the kingly call that we're not called to just hunker down and settle for the income level that we currently have and then adjust our vision down to that little level of the riches that we have we aren't called to live that. We're called to live. We're called to expand. We're called to lay hold of a vision according to his riches. Do you believe it? The, the, the prodigal's brother had a pauper spirit, by the way. While we're on this topic... The prodigal's brother, I believe, had a pauper spirit. The prodigal comes home and father runs out to meet him and says, let's have a party, puts a ring back on his finger, sandals on his feet, covers him with the royal robe. He's been out in wild living 
wasting his resource, his talent, his skill, his grace, his ability on everything wrong. The story of the prodigal is actually the Gentile people coming in. It's what it's all about. It's the Gentile people. The Jewish people had allowed themselves to come under a righteousness of works, which was never God's intent. And they had separated themselves from, to a large degree, from the promise made to Abram, the Abrahamic promise, the covenant promise. And they were living under a works-based righteousness, judging themselves according to works and asking Father for nothing, not living as the true sons that Father started with, with Abraham, the father of our faith. And the prodigal is the picture of the Gentile church coming in now. Those who've been living wildly for thousands of years, separated from the promises of God, living, spurning, and wasting. And so he comes in, and there's this great celebration. The older son was in the field, and when he approached the house, this is verse 25 of Luke 15, he heard the music and the dancing. He summoned one of the servants to begin inquiring how things could be, what's going on. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. And he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and pleaded with him. But he answered and said to the father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and have never neglected a command of yours, yet you've never given me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours comes home who's devoured your wealth with prostitutes and you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son... You have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. How much is yours? But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. A pauper spirit, he became jealous of the returning son, the Gentile son who had spent his inheritance on wild living. Father was showing us the grace that he's pouring out on those who come to him through Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad it's been, no matter what your history's been, no matter what has happened in your life, Father is bringing you out of a pauper life into a life of royalty, into a life of richness, into a life of grace. I'm going to ask the band to come. We're going to prepare to close. The word audacious came to me. Preparing for today. Audacious. Hebrews 4.16, Hebrews 10 tells us that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. The throne of what? That's favor, that's empowerment, that's riches, that's blessing, that's sufficiency. You can come with boldness. But the boldness that we, you know, I think what happens is we come in with boldness, but then we just hang out around the throne worshiping. 
When Father wants you to bring audacious petition, audacious petition, audacious petition that is joined together with visions way beyond the scope of your budget, visions that are connected to his budget. What could you dream, what could you dream, what could you do I remember when we, uh, can, I, can I go along today? Am I might get in trouble with the pastor? There's so many stories of audacious craziness, right? Uh, one of them is when we started to build this building. We had 135 people and we had $35,000. And the Lord says, start building the building. And I remember the word, the, the rhema of the word, clearly. And we had been petitioning the Lord for this building for years, audaciously. And because of our size and our budget and our finances, we had been advised many times to shrink the size of the building. We had $35,000 to start building the building. And I think building costs were around $1.2 or something. Joe had received a word from a prophet who had come to the church saying, you and Sandy are going to provide the finance for the building. We're about two months into construction by faith. We've burnt through almost all of our money. We've ordered the building. We ordered the building. The metal building. Had no money to pay for it. What we had was an audacious request that we had petitioned God for, for this building. And then we had a word to start. One day he calls me up on the phone on the way to church. And he said, you, you, I, I got to tell you about something. By the way, we'd lost our financing because we'd come under attack earlier from the city and neighbors, and some of you have read about some of that. So we'd lost our bank financing, couldn't get any. But God said, start the building. He calls me on the phone because we couldn't figure out how the prophetic word was going to work when the prophet said, the two of you are going to provide the financing to build the building. He calls me on the phone and he says, I'm in the office of a friend of mine right now. And he started asking me about the church. And then he started asking me about if we were going to build a building. And then he asked me, who's going to supply the money for the building? And I told him, we don't know. And he said, well, I'd like to do that. Yeah. As we're talking on the phone, I literally hear a voice behind me in the car say, this, it was King James. The Lord's funny. 
I heard the Lord say, this is the way, walk ye in it. And Joe said, what do you think? Should we do this? And I said, yes, this is, this is the way. <laughs> this is the way. Let's stand this morning. Audacious request. Audacious request. Audacious request. Because of audacious vision. Because you are kings and priests unto our God. You are no longer limited by your heritage, your ancestry, your parents, your history, your genealogy. You are no longer limited by your country of origin. You are not limited by your color. You are not limited by any environmental issue. You are not limited by circumstances. You are not limited by your education. You are not limited by your education. You know what's limiting you right now? Is your vision is too small. Your vision is too small, and it's keeping your petitions way too small. Way too small. Your petitions have been centered around what you could afford instead of what he could afford. And today, God wants to liberate you from a vision based on what you can afford. And he wants to loose you into a vision based on his riches. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment across this room. I want you praying right now, just praying right now. I want you processing this right now. We dismiss right now. We renounce. We renounce. We set aside. We break covenant with a pauper spirit right now. Come on, come on, come on. Just lift your voice. Lift your voice all across this auditorium. We are done with a pauper spirit. We are done with a pauper spirit. We are done with a pauper spirit. We are done with visions. We are done with visions based on our riches. We are setting aside and dismissing, letting go of, and no longer dominated by visions that are based on what we can afford. We are turning our hearts now to what Father can afford, what Jesus can afford, these riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. We are now turning our attention to what Father can afford, what Father can afford, what Father can afford. What he can build, what he can accomplish, what he can do, what he can work, what he can pay off and pay for, we turn our attention to what Father can afford right now. We say to poverty, we say to poverty mindsets, we say to limited mindsets, we say to limitations, we say to boundaries, we say to lids, we say to bottlenecks, we say to, to, to uh, uh, the holding down, the, the python constricting spirit that works against royalty. We say loose the people of God in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give the Lord a thank offering this morning, church. God bless you. God bless you. Let's worship as we go this morning.